this massive sort of large blue man thing emerges through the woods <laughs> with a sword. Make him sound like the cookie monster. I like the idea of a man whose job it is to fight off zombies coming down and being like, party! Party! (laughs) He's turned up with a bong. (laughs) There's so much tension and so many interesting different characters. You know, I can can see this. This has got legs. Hello and welcome to the first full episode of Shark Liverell's coverage of Game of Thrones. It's our Game of Thrones, isn't it? I have to remember uh, that. It is, yeah. Because otherwise yeah. people are going to think we're talking about the popular TV series and we're not because we're originals. These are the books. Yeah, we're, we're talking about the books. Although the the books that I've... Well, the, book, the copy of the book that I've got... I've got two copies, basically. The first one was before the series came out and it was called Our Game of Thrones. Yeah. And this one, just looking at the cover, is, is just called Game of Thrones now. I think just to make it absolutely clear that this is the same thing as a series. I wonder if that's because, is... like, <clears throat> because the art of ripping off popular media has now got to a point where they're literally like, no, we have to call it exactly the same thing, otherwise people are just going to think it's like a tribute. Like, <laughs> like you know, like those false movies they make, like The Titanic that was released around the same time as Titanic yeah, and yeah. Slumdog Billionaire, you know, and they're made for about <laughs> 20 pence and, and, and yeah. it's just rubbish. Or if it is that they literally have that little respect for the audience that they're like, I'll be honest with you, probably 50% of the people we want to have buying this book will be thrown off by the extra letter. So how yeah. about we just chop that off and <laughs> um, everybody makes money. Yeah, unless it, unless it looks letter for letter the same as the title of the series and has a picture of Sean Bean on the front, people will not realise that this is <laughs> the same. This is you the know, book that Game of Thrones is based on. That could hold true, though, for like pretty much all all media based on something that Sean Bean stars in. You know, yeah. like, put him on the front, you're going to sell no problem. Fail to, amateur hour. You know, if if, you, if you've got the if you've got the ability to put Sean Bean on the front of what you're publishing, then why wouldn't you? With with the possible exception of Lord of the Rings, I don't think he features on the front of that. No, he doesn't, and uh, and you know who knows how much it could have made. <laughs> hmm? Yeah, <laughs> fair point. Okay, so um, listen, this is, if you listen to the Shark Liver Roll for the first time, what we're doing uh, for the next ten episodes is following the book. Game of Thrones. So it's not the series, although we will be touching on that because they're very similar, obviously. Um, but we're going to break it down into ten parts, um, which pretty much follow the same sort of uh, breakdown as the series did with the book. It seemed like a fairly obvious thing to do. And um, we'll be looking at all the big sort of action set pieces, the character development. Um, I'm looking forward to having a, getting a feel for the minor characters as well, some of the ones mm-hmm. you don't really see so much in the, in the series. Um, <clears throat> what we do every week is we we give out a page number to read to, and then um, at the end of next week, we'll do the cast up until that point. So the first week, uh, we said read up to page 83, uh, which was a chapter, it taps the beginning of Tyrion. So um, let's do the cast up to then now. Are you, are you ready, Dave? I'm ready, Matt. Let's do it. Part one, winter is coming. We're going to call it that. <laughs> Just just because, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> into the uh, into the prologue. Um, it's, a, it's a classic book. Starts with the prologue. And we introduce <coughs> this character. 
<coughs> we're introduced to this character, Sir, Sir Waymar Royce, um, who is a young uh, nobleman, really, and he's uh, he's working for this. Well, he's part of this group called the Night's Watch. He's got a couple of sort of underlings with him called Jared and Will. And this guy is he's only still only a teenager, very young, and comes across yeah. as a bit of a knob and a bit a bit immature, doesn't he? Um, as these, yeah, this group is sent out to track the wildlings north of the Wall, which is this big wintry place. Yeah, he is every inch the sort of entitled child of wealth, isn't he? And mm. um, and and while usually characters like that piss me right off, like this was this was quite good because. Um, George R. R. Martin, he really lays his stall out early on and he makes it clear that this is not the kind of world in which, well, in which rich and entitled, you know, lordlings will always get away with being rich and entitled lordlings. You know, it's um, it's mm. a very, well, it's a very harsh and dramatic world as we see. Yeah. Um, the, the author is uh, by no means shy of killing off characters. And uh, this is a good <laughs> that's, example. That's straight one way away. to put it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Because um, when I was reading this for the first time, um, so where my Royce pops up, you think, right, okay, this is uh, going to be a big character throughout the book. Let's get a settle in, you know. Yeah, what's get he a like? feel for what he's like. Set the stall out. Within a chapter, he's dead. Um, <laughs> now, he, he does. He, he does actually put up a, a better fight than uh, in the series. He just mm. sort of. What, what happens is this group track this. A group of uh, barbarians or wildlings through the forest, and end mm. up coming across these monsters, which kill them. Apart from one who gets away. Mm. In this one, um, Royce does put up a bit of a fight. Uh, this this massive sort of large blue man thing emerges through the woods <laughs> with a sword. Make him sound like the Cookie Monster. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's much more intimidating than that. That's amazing. Um, but yeah. No, I think we should call them call these beasts. We should call them Cookie Monsters from now on. I'm never going to be able to read that again without mentioning the Cookie Monster. Okay, right. I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to call them Cookie Monsters. Uh, I'm calling them Cookie Monsters. All right, I'm calling them Cookie Monsters for the rest of the. Okay, so this figure, one of the others, in no way resembling a Cookie Monster. <laughs> Step, steps out of the steps out of the forest, and his Royce's response is: "It's a great quote. This I love it." He pulls out his sword and goes, "Dance with me, then." And they start <laughs> this uh, start this sword fight, which he eventually loses and is killed. Yeah. Um, and then he he sort of gets up again after dying as a blue eyed zombie, and mm. kills the one of his sort of partners who was hiding up in a tree. He kills him as well, and it, the, the story's told from the point of view of this guy, this character, who is uh, who is hiding in the tree and then killed. Um, strong start. Yeah. What do you think? Like I say, he lays his stall out early and does a lot of work, like starting to establish this world. Um, although I have to say that I was quite glad it, that this was just a prologue, that it didn't continue in this vein for very long, because mm. you know, like quite quickly, the focus swings away to sort of other other parts of this world. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, you've got, you've got the idea of privilege, you've introduced the Night's Watch and this sort of idea of this kind of, you know, just the, like the worst warrior monks ever, I suppose you could say, <laughs> like <laughs> celibate, but really angry about it. And, um, yeah, I just think it's great. I think it's really well done. I also think it's, it's very good for immediately 
putting us on the side of the Night's Watch, where there's this there's this big argument throughout the books mm. where there's very much this feel of something wicked this way comes with the yeah. what's going on north of the wall. And the thing is, there's this there's the wall which is a barrier between the sort of more civilized south and the wilderness which is which is north. And mm. um and what the, the the big tension is that the people south of the wall for the most part don't believe these stories about monsters. They see them as legends in the same way that we would. Yeah. And yeah. um and the, the problem is that it actually these stories are true. And it's the the big question is you know can um, with all this politics and backstabbing that's going on in the south can people realise where the real threat's coming from and prepare for it in time because something's coming from the north and people yeah. aren't ready for it yet yeah 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 and that that runs throughout the book and I thought it was very clever to immediately um, clear that up for us we know what the truth is now because yeah. we've in the first chapter seen evidence of something very sinister north of the wall. And it's an interesting strategy as well, isn't it? Because if you were just to read this prologue and then try and imagine how the book was going to pan out, you wouldn't imagine like a sort of almost medieval world which is about politics and battles and sex and power. Mm. You'd be so it's sort of a fantasy zombie book. Mm. And and I have to say, I I'm very grateful that he didn't just write a fantasy zombie book. Do you know what I mean? That like he's yeah. that that these that this is just menace that's established on page one, and then kind of bubbles. I think moving it into a more of a political sort of uh, story and a, and a drama um, makes the world seem more real and relatable as well. So when sort of these monsters do show up it feels a bit more realistic than if you just throw them in from the beginning and it's going all the way through. Um, let's move on to the next chapter, uh, which yeah. is we're introduced to the Stark family, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which is the, uh, the the group, the family which is in charge of, if you like, the, the northern part of of the southern kingdoms. So it's mm. the bit which is which sort of bumps up against the wall before you get to the real north. I just I've just realised something about the wall, and this whole idea of the mm. wall. Is, do you suppose this book's very popular in Scotland? Because because yeah. yeah. it just it sort of presents. So it's clearly supposed to be like England or the island of Great Britain, right? Yeah. And then and there's a wall built by the imperial power, just before yeah. you get to the true frozen north, and beyond it yeah. lie nothing but savages who are not to be trusted and might even be the undead. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? The, not not yeah. a nice parallel to invite. In defence of G-R-R-M, as we will now call him, he's basing this on, it's supposed to be a, a, a sort of a mirror of medieval England, and I don't think you can really contest that the, at the time, then, the the English um, very much took that view, that <laughs> north of the wall was this wilderness where there were these dangerous guys who ever so often came across the wall and, and wreaked a bit of havoc and then disappeared again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think later on, the sort of, uh, the wildlings uh, get a better writer once you get somebody up north of the wall who actually meets them. That's and true. And you see this. There's this whole, they're not so different from us kind of vibe coming again. Um, so I, I, I think if you were a Scot reading it, you know, you could take offence, but I think you'd be a bit thin-skinned to do so. Well, I don't, I, that's a question we should ask anybody. Anybody who's listening to this in Scotland and has read the books or seen the TV show, what do you think? Did you feel like they were they were um, oppressing you? 
Are they being dismissive, <laughs> or, uh, or is it is it is it only me who thinks that way? <laughs> D- Dave, I think you, as as a West Midlander, uh, have more cause have more cause to take offence because if we if we take this as a mirror of West versus a mirror of Britain, okay, yeah. you've got King's Landing in the south, which yeah. is sort of this cesspit of corruption and wealth. London, which then. would which would suggest London. <laughs> you've got the you've got Winterfell in the north, which is sort of the old kingdom and. Um, people, you know, speaking plainly and being maybe a bit naive, which could be York, okay? Aye. In the middle, there's a couple of other places as well, but in the middle where Birmingham is, you've got a place called Heron Hall, which is effectively a, <laughs> a wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, true. You know. It used to be a very impressive stronghold, <laughs> now significantly less so. And I have to say... As somebody from the West Midlands, that's accurate. Oh, I was, I was just waiting for you to say I find that deeply offensive. Bollocks! You've not... I, you've spoken to Brummies, right? The last person to compliment Birmingham is a Brummie. And since <laughs> nobody else does, the place just doesn't get any compliments. Oh, well, I'm going to say I like Birmingham. Well, you, you toady I'm up. Putting it out Go there. on, then. <clears throat> I like Birmingham as well, but, you know, I've just never met a Brummie yeah, who it, does. <laughs> just in a Heron Hall kind of... Just in, a, that in a Heron Hall, you know, I like bleakness. Bleakness is, is good. <laughs> Did you think when you saw it, <laughs> the first shot of it, that melted castle called Heron Hall, <laughs> scene of desolation... <laughs> Ah, there it is. Um. <laughs> no, I did not think that. Because that's not what I think of when I think of home. So, Bran. Yeah. So we're introduced to the, the Starks in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this, this whole, the whole scene is built for a beheading mm-hmm. of, um, it's, not ob- it's not made clear, but it's heavily implied that this is the one survivor who's deserted his post from north of the wall. Yeah. Um, and the penalty for that is, is death. So uh, Ned Stark, who's who's a sort of the, the Lord, mm. he 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 kills him. Yeah, um, uh, sentences him to death and kills him. And uh, we we sort of it's a good introduction to just just how tough life is in this world still. Even if yeah. you're in the civilized part of it, it's still pretty barbaric. There is an honor in it, though, isn't there? Like you know, mm. he kind of he he says Ned Stark is he's very big on being like I passed the sentence, so I'm going to kill the man. Rather mm. than, you know, you know, barbarism, I feel like, kind of implies just kind of amoral, rampaging, taking what you like when you like sort of thing. I, 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 t- I, t- I tell I, you what I was thinking during this bit, actually, was um, what sort of a name for, like, a, a quasi-medieval princeling is Brandon? Like, Brandon's a name for a California surf dude. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's, that's not a name for a... It's like, you know, what are we going to have next... Prince Randy, Lord <laughs> High Corey of Winterfell. I just find it really stupid. <laughs> I quite liked it. It made me think of sort of... <clears throat> okay, to be honest, it made me think of Kellogg's Olbron. <laughs> <laughs> All right, solid, dependable. <laughs> yeah. Not particularly uh, exciting, but, you know, it gets the job done. That's hilarious. <laughs> I still, for me, there's still a bit of me that expects him to have like kind of flowing blonde locks and, and just <laughs> just be giving it his best impression of the turtle from um, uh, from Finding Nemo. Whoa, little dude, little little, little oh, guy, right? 
<laughs> oh, Dad, look at all the blood. That's far out. That's far out, man. Judging <laughs> um, you know what happens later in this uh, this section, do you reckon he wakes up and goes, Oh, what happened last night? It was totally wasted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is not cool, man. This is so not cool. Right. Okay, so that isn't Bran. But... That's, that's not Bran. Bran is a much more serious character who's also like <laughs> seven years old or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, the, the other thing I wanted to say about this chapter is we're introduced to Rob, who's mm. the, uh, the, the heir to Winterfell, the, the eldest son of Ned. And they find these uh, pups, um, these direwolf pups. Direwolves are basically giant wolves. Yeah. And they find seven of these little puppies. And... Uh, and they take one each for the for the Stark children, and one for the the bastard child who's called John. Mm. And uh, when Ned says, you know, if they die, you'll you'll have to bury them yourself. Yeah. Um, Rob says they won't die. We won't let them die. And it just it's just this confidence in this this eldest son. You get. Yeah. I, I thought this is quite accurate. You know, someone who will have been told from birth. You know, this is what you're going to inherit. Yeah. Um, this is why you're special. This is why you can do anything. And he has this kind of confidence where he even feels he's got power over life and death. Um, the next bit is uh, a chapter called Caitlin. We're introduced to the wife of uh, Ned Stark. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> she meets uh, Ned in the Godswood, which is sort of a quiet place where he goes to contemplate death. It seems. And um, well, you do. Yeah, we're here. Um, the the each house in the in this world have a motto, have their words, and um, mm. the words for for the Starks is winter is coming, um, which kind of sums up the dour and um, yeah. you know, do <laughs> not exactly happy nature. go lucky, is it? Um, no. Although that occurs to me, then again, it's missed something. This is supposed to be like a simulacrum of the north of England. Like, where where's the sort of Game of Thrones. Where's the Westeros version of like cannon and ball? You know, where's the where's the Phoenix Knights vibe in this? Like everybody's just really po faced. <laughs> we got a guy called Fat Tom. He bet he's good yep. for a laugh. That's true. That's true. But he's got his own show, but... Fat Tom's Phoenix Knights. <laughs> but yeah, there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of humour in the North. It seems. No, that's true. Um, which may be a shame. Mm. Um, but so so that we get basically in this chapter there's a lot of plot we hear that a guy called john arryn who is a uh, quite high up downing um in the south in king's landing he's actually this he's actually called the hand of the king which mm. is sort of the guy who rules um and takes care of the day-to-day matters for the king yeah um he's been he's dead yeah and the king is on his way up to winterfell and they infer from this that the, that there may be a promotion on the way for mr stark or Lord Stark. He's got his full title. Eddie Stark. <laughs> For Ted um, Stark. I like that. Ted, Teddy Stark. Okay, listen. The next part. We're going to leave Westeros. Oh, yeah. We're going to go across the Narrow Sea. And we're going to meet someone called Daenerys. And her creepy-ass brother, Viserys. He really um, is, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah. So, a brief did, summary. Oh, go on, sorry. I was going to say, did you notice, they don't really introduce the character of Viserys terribly well in that his name is Viserys, which is like, as in visceral meat. Just like, it just yeah. calls to mind the idea of this, like, merciless, bleeding stump of meat, and that's pretty much what he is. Yeah, it's a great name, isn't it? It is, it is. 
But there's another couple of really good ones like that later on as well. But, um, but yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, Daenerys is, um, or Anviserus, they're exiled um, former mem- members of the former royal family. Basically, what's happened is uh, there was this ruling family in Westeros. They got bloodily deposed and uh, Daenerys and Viserys escaped and sort of fled into exile. Um, and now Viserys, who's the elder brother, is trying to marry his young, younger sister off yeah. to somebody who might be able to win them back a throne. And that somebody yeah. is an absolute beast called <laughs> Kyle Drogo. <laughs> do, you, do you know when I first heard this character, it was in the TV series, and I honestly thought they'd called him Carl. Like, and it just, it just brought to mind this image of, like, a not-at-all-intimidating sort of... When they say, Carl Drogo, like, Clive Erickson or something. It's like, that's not an imposing name at all. And then, and then he's described, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm glad I didn't make that joke. Yeah. Yeah, because in, in, in the book, you read it K-H-A-L, and you see that it's obviously yeah. some kind of name. But I suppose yeah. if you just hear it, yeah, he, Carl, he does sound like an IT technician, doesn't he? <laughs> That's amazing. You appear to have lost control of Westeros. Have you tried turning it off and turning it on again? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, now, Viserys, obviously, um, we get a feeling for his character. He has very little empathy with his sister, um, other mm. than seeing her as a bargaining chip. Quite surprising, considering they've... They've fled from place to place together. You think that have brought, up, you know, yeah. created a, a better relationship, but I suppose he is he is a, a bit crazy in the head, Viserys. And um, it, yeah. his description of Kyle Drogo when he's, he's trying to set her up to meet this guy, he says of him, "Tonight he looks for a different type of mount." Um, speaking of his horse, which is pretty <sighs> pretty brusque. Uh, horrible, just horrible. And 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 you can you you kind of understand. I think this is this is subtly really good in in establishing not only that Viserys is a twat because oh lord is he a twat, but also you kind of get an insight into this king, his father, who was deposed, um, and uh, you know who was who was said to have been crazy, yeah. and um, and you really get a sense of how like how unhinged it's possible. Um, it's possible for somebody to get, I suppose, when they're corrupted by power, and and also the uh, the genetically questionable practice of sleeping with your siblings. Yeah, there's a there's a saying um, which is which is mentioned in the book a few times, which is a uh, when one of the Targaryens are born, which is the surname of Daenerys and Viserys. When one of the Targaryens are born, um, the the gods flip a coin. And you know, basically, you've yeah. got a fifty-fifty chance of being insane or normal. And it, it appears yeah. that this is the case here. Viserys is quite clearly mad, and yeah. uh, Daenerys seems a bit more on an even keel. Although um, she does seem to have some strange ability not to get hurt by hot water, because she has this bath in scalding water, oh, and yeah. um, she's told not to go in it, and she does anyway, and she, she's not hurt or anything like that. But my my thought for that is. It, all very well for her, but what about her poor servants who've got to scrub her back and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> They've not got access to sort of nobody thinks protection. of the servants, do they? In these books, no. the uh, also that there's another character uh, who <clears throat> what's the name of the merchant called Il- Ilrio, who's the guy yeah. who's brokering the deal for this group, 
Um, mm. he's, a, he's, a, he's a big, rich merchant in this foreign city. And the way he handles... Mm. Um, the way he handles Viserys, who's blustering, and um, he, he's... Ilrio's worried that the blustering, semi-insane Viserys has got to offend Khal Drogo, because he, he you, obviously you, sees you'd him as a You'd put money on it, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah, like, given the way he talks about him. Yeah. And when, when, he, when Viserys is sort of cautioned by Ilrio, Viserys says, you know, do you take me, do you take me for a fool? Don't call me stupid. And Ilrio diffuses it in, in mm. one of my favourite lines. He says, uh, I don't take you for a fool, I'll take you for a king. Kings lack the caution of common men, which is yeah. a really <laughs> clever way of saying. It's kind of a put-down, but done in a way which sounds like a massive compliment to him, which is perfect. It's, and I tell you what this brings out, actually, and this is something which uh, we've spoken about before is one of the real strengths of the book, is um, the like the fact that, it, in a very real sense, it is not kings and holders of titles who have power. It's the people around them who either fund them or tell them what they should believe in subtle mm. kind of insinuating diplomatic ways. Those are the people who really control what goes on. Uh, finally, we also we are introduced to Carl Drogo, and just want to have a word on, on how he's described because he really does come over as a as a powerful, powerful in the way of just his his strength and his intimidation. He he mm. he looks like a, a man who you you wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley. Yeah, yeah, he's he's not powerful in that kind of. Um, you know, that modern kind of wielding power from behind a desk or by knowing the most people or by telling... You know, it's it's powerful in the much more previous thing of if you met him in a dark alley, you'd be terrified. He's the kind of guy who would meet Machiavelli on the street, sneer once, and then bite his head clean off. Um, let, let's move on to the next chapter, which we go back across the sea. And now um, we, we, we get the king's arrival. So this is uh, the king, uh, Robert, uh, with all his retinue, with his, his group of advisors and the queen and the, all the lot of them uh, come up to Winterfell. The king mm. um, is a bit of a surprise because he he's pretty fat. And, um, <laughs> it looks Don't like mince your words, a, Matt. Say, say yeah, it like you see it. I think there's, there's, a, there's a sort of a, a weakness there, isn't there? Or at least... A, 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 a sort of decadence there. <laughs> yeah, and we get this backstory about the king, about how he won the throne and how he was this big, powerful, um, skillful warrior. Yeah. And yeah. obviously over the years, that has changed. And you get this sense straight away of sort of a decaying uh, power base here. Yeah, and and that makes you nervous because the, the character that you've kind of latched onto so far is Ned Stark. And, and he's clearly in loyally and permanently in the camp of this person who is creating a power vacuum. I'll tell you who I thought of when I, when, when I, when I read The King was um, Henry VIII. He's every inch yeah. the kind of Henry VIII character, you know, this, like, this previously phenomenally powerful and intimidating individual who, mm. has been, who has been indulging himself for so long that he's lost his edge. And it says that, you know, I th the description of him is great because he says, you know, um, back in the day, uh, they didn't say that because that's not medieval, but, you know, whatever the medieval version of back in the day, um, you know, he was like, he was six foot eight and he was strong enough to fight with a hammer 
Not a sword. <laughs> no, 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 no. A hammer. Um, and and he was a maiden's dream and stuff. And then it says he's put on eight stone since that time. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's literally twice the man he used to be. And um, And it's just, it's all very kind of, yeah, you have this sense of somebody going to seed. And that's all very well if the people around him are trustworthy, but like almost immediately particularly his wife like literally literally from moment one she is presented as the least trustworthy person in a book (laughs) full of extremely untrustworthy people you know yeah and this relationship between the king and the the queen is uh is obviously strained um Mm. when um the, the first thing that uh, that the king wants to do when he arrives is go down to the crypts with Ned and see the um, sort of the, the tomb of Ned's sister, who he originally was going to marry. Mm. And um, and I think I think it was I think it's Ned says, "What about your wife?" And he responds, "The others take my wife," which is kind of like the Westerosi slang for oh, "scream my wife." Which yeah. is pretty, it's pretty disrespectful straight away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Like he's, and yeah, and we, I mean, you know, we go on to find out kind of why that might have been. Um, so, so we go, we go down to the crypts with, with Ned and King Robert. Robert makes this offer where he says, look, you know, John Aaron, who used to be his right hand man, has died, and he mm. wants Ned to come down to the capital and become the hand of the king, which is, you know, the king's mm. right hand man. Um, and he also says, um, to sweeten the deal and also to to almost apologise for not seeing as much of Ned as they used to because they used to be very, very close. Um, they're going to join the houses by wedding Ned's daughter Sansa to his his eldest son, Joff, which basically um, puts puts the Stark family immediately into the line of succession. Yeah. Uh, Sansa yeah. will be queen next. Now, all this, this big offer, um, you don't get this in the... They have to tell this quite differently in the series because you can't tell what Ned's right. thinking. But it's much better here, much easier because as soon oh, as it's yeah. offered to him, um, it says in the in the text it was the last thing in the world he wanted. Yeah, and yeah. and you you immediately feel this conflict in Ned where he want he doesn't want to let his friend down, and also yeah. he, he has a duty and he's very big on duty and has this duty to the king, but also. Yeah. In terms of personal ambition, it's just not something he wants. And I, there was melancholy in it as well for me. Was this, you know, you've had little glimpses and mentions of their past kind of fighting together. And and you really have the sense of it being like the glory days. There's also, like, a, I think there's a huge melancholy of, like, you know, so it's come to this. Mm. You know, like, because <clears throat> on the one hand, it feels like getting the band back together. But on yeah. the other hand, it's really not, and it's really sort of, yeah, sad, because he knows he knows he's not going down there to sort of drink it up and whoop it up and have an amazing time. Okay, um, the next chapter is uh, John, which is John is one of Ned's sons, but he's in a bit of an awkward position because he's he's a bastard. So you know, Caitlin, Ned's wife, isn't his mum, and. Uh, and he's a bit of yeah, yeah. Um, now this is a bit different from the series because in the series he's sort of banished almost to the sort of backyard while everyone else has the feast, and he's all a bit upset. Um, yeah. 
in in the book, he's actually pretty happy. He he gets to sit with. He doesn't have to sit up at the stuffy top table where you have to observe all these manners yeah. and stuff. He can just have a rollicking good time down with his mates. Um, he has a load 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 to drink, and um, <laughs> and he's actually in the end. Uh, Ned's brother turns up, who's this guy who um, is the the chief ranger of the Night's Watch, if you remember. I know there's a lot to throw at you at once here. The Night's Watch is this group who were introduced to at the very beginning of the book who go and uh, who try and sort of man the wall which defends the south from the wilderness and the north. And the he cookie comes monsters. down and the cookie monsters. He comes down to party and um and he meets John. <laughs> I and, like and, the idea <laughs> of a man whose job it is to fight off zombies coming down and being like Party! <laughs> yeah. Party! <laughs> he tur- he's turned up with a bong. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, seriously, it's been literally years since I smiled. You've got to help me out here. I mean, just tell, tell me there's going to be pin the tail on the donkey. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so, so ben, yeah, Benjin, um, who's Ned's brother, has come down from the wall. To, to sort mm. of, uh, it's just to see the king. And um, John says, you know, take me with you when you go back. Let me become a ranger. Let me join the Night's yeah. Watch. And um, in the series, it's just, it's because he's just had it with sticking around in, in Winterfell. But uh, in the yeah. book, it's, it's, it's a bit of that in the book, but it's also that he's just drunk. And he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's one of those, we've all done it, one of those drunken ideas. We say, oh, it would be great if I go to the wall. And he's maybe he's thought about it before, but has never got the confidence to ask. And now yeah. after a few beers, he's saying, look, I want to do it now. Let's go for it. Yeah. Um, the, the other good thing at the feast is that we get introduced to the Lannisters for, properly for the first time. And yeah. as they enter the as they enter the room. So you've got, um, the Lannisters are the, the Queen's family. Um, so you've got uh, Cersei, who's the Queen. You've got Jamie, who's her brother, and he's um, this dashing um, knight who's a, a member of sort of the, the king's personal guard. And uh, you've got Tyrion, who's a little little dwarf. I mean, let's talk a bit about Tyrion, because he mm. uh, meets John a bit later on, um, sort of in a quiet part of the building while the feast's going on. And yeah. John meets him as he's... <laughs> Tyrion sort of... I don't know. Kind of, he's climbed up above the door frame, and he uh, yeah. when he meets when he meets Johnny, he leaps down and cartwheels and somersaults around. And yeah. um, this is the thing that when my, my brother uh, watched the series and then read the book, and the first yeah. thing he said to me, first impression of the book was, Tyrion's a bit different, isn't he? He sort of <laughs> somersaulting around and cartwheeling yeah. and stuff. Because in the films, yeah. he's obviously played look much straighter, and here. Yeah. Um, Tyrion does caper around quite a lot. I think it's a bit more of an edge to Tyrion in in the in the book, insofar as he um, he does he embraces this sort of this um, his position. There's, there's, the, there's the quote where he says to to, to John, you know, he calls him a bastard, and he says, um, "Never forget what you are. Uh, wear it like armor." Because he says mm. um, all dwarves are bastards in the in the father's eyes. And, yeah, um, yeah, I thought that and, was very and, powerful. Yeah, and he says that in the series, but I think in the book he really does live it because he he accepts this dwarf, you know, that everyone's going to laugh and expects him to caper around, so he does that. But he also yeah. uses it to... He does that to use it to his advantage. And there's, I think there's a bit more of a sinister edge to Tyrion. I, I definitely got that in the book yeah. when I read it the first time. 
Um, mm. I tell you that there, there are another couple of things out of this section that I thought were all quite interesting. Was first of all, there's some really good stuff about like the power of the life of the court, like in in shaping the way people like think. Like like at one point, um, like when Joffrey walks in, um, who is it that I forget who it is, but one of the Stark kids looks up at him and thinks, "That's how a king ought to look." Um, yeah. Oh no, he looks like think, a prince think, out of the think, stories. Think, they look at they look at Jamie and say that's how a king ought to look, and they look at Joffrey and they're like, he looks like a prince out of the stories. Yeah, and I think that might be John actually. Is it John? Right. So yeah, it's so, all from John's point of view. This this part. There it is. So so he looks up at him like that and sees that kind of character, and um, it has to be said that the way Joffrey like he, there's no there's no kind of pretense that that's what Joffrey might actually be like like a classic fairy tale prince like George R R Martin is so clearly set out here to write a wrong and and it's just fantastic mm. to see he's just decided from moment one that Joffrey's going to be an absolute little oh <laughs> i he just he angers me and, um and he's like he's like it from moment one um the other thing that i thought was interesting in this um the the banquet the whole idea of the banquet being like at the top of the room you've got all these people kind of observing you know courtly courtly courtesies and so on and then like and then you've basically got as you get further down the hall people are more and more and more just hammered and absolutely whooping it up and i found that quite interesting because because you know obviously these banquets are about power and about wealth and so on as well so you want as many people as possible there um and but you just sort of give everybody what they want in order to walk away feeling like they've had a fantastic time whereas can yeah. you imagine like a state dinner these days having like having like you know just a piss up going on at one end of the room while the queen <laughs> and the president of the united states are talking to each other about matters of high diplomatic importance okay um so the next bit is we go back to caitlin uh, ned's wife mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. i just like to mention She's wandering around, there's a bit of an inner monologue thinking about her life in Winterfell. And although Winterfell is freezing cold, um, it's in the Mm. north, it's actually, it's got its own central heating system which uses hot springs. I thought that was amazing. So the walls are actually warm. Yeah. Can you, I mean, wouldn't you love to live in a place, particularly if it was cold? It's like the best ski chalet ever. Yeah. And, And it made me wonder, I wonder if there is anywhere in the world that is like that. Like if that's if that's just like if that's just George R R Martin's active imagination, or if it's yeah. based on because you can imagine it, can't you? There's castles and schlosses and chateaus all over Europe. Surely mm. one of them must be must be built where there's hot water coming up. And that king, that was the smuggest king, whoever it was that owned <laughs> that place in the depth of a central European winter. He was the guy who was like, "Oh, you're <laughs> cold outside, are you? All my subjects and all the other people and all the other. Ca- oh, I've got central heating, so fuck you." <laughs> Yeah, where do you want to spend the winter this uh, this winter, King? Hot Springs House. <laughs> yeah, it's that, isn't it? Hot Springs, Hot Springs. <laughs> the so the other thing, actually, that, that that came for me from this Caitlin bit is that Ned's only thirty five years old. I hadn't realised that before. Mm. Um, and you know, it says he looked older than his thirty five years. But TV series he played by Sean Bean, who's what in his early fifties. Yeah. Um, so, um, and again, that's another example of how to give, to have us think of these characters as being appropriately grizzled and experienced. They have to cast much older, um, yeah. you know, not just with the kids cause it's freaky to have a 14 year old being married to somebody and then showing the wedding night, but also mm. for the, um, 
for the for the adults, you have to have somebody like Sean Bean who looks like he's been around the world a few times rather than somebody in his mm. mid-30s, you know? Um, yeah. And that was actually earlier on as well. I noticed, you know, you, so Rob's 14 and Theon Greyjoy's 19, mm. you know, there's a big age difference there, which there isn't in the TV series. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, all of that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think that's true right the way through the book. If you look at the ages of... Of pretty much all the main characters, especially the characters in power, yeah, they they're all mm. quite young, and and it's it's because you know um, although the good parts of, of living in this kind of world are your raucous feasts and you know no air pollution and no global warming. Um, <laughs> I like and, that you go you go from I get to eat all I like to I don't have to worry <laughs> about Mother Earth. That's a very yeah. very selfless way of embracing the medieval kind of ideal. Yeah, but the flip side of the coin is um, people tend to die young and die hard. It's a really, yeah. really violent place. And yeah, you yeah. don't get many people aged 70, 80, you know, kicking around for a bit and then dying peacefully in the sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Not a lot of peaceful dying in the sleep that goes... In yeah. fact, shall we try and keep a lookout for that as we do in these books? Like, see who the first person is that we encounter who genuinely dies of natural causes in their sleep at an old age. Because yeah, I can't sure. think of a single person. Yeah, I suppose not. Then hopefully there'll be... Even, even, we'll, we'll expand it to see. Even, even if one's referenced, we'll, we'll make a point of it. We've got a bit more plot here um, where I, we find out that... We, we hear a rumour by letter, that by smuggled-in letter, that um, mm. the, the, the old hand of the king was actually murdered. He, he didn't die, as we would just hoped, of natural causes. Um, bum, bum, bum. And, and he was murdered. It may it, it transpires. I mean, the accusation is that he was murdered by the Lannisters. So... Bum, 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 this bum. Extra, yeah. <laughs> there's this <laughs> extra element. This yeah. And... Um, yeah. So, so, so we've got Ned trying to decide whether, with this new information, whether or not to go down to King's Landing, and yeah. basically he is minded not to. And a combination of um, the Mace, Maester, who's sort of one of his advisors, Maester Lunwin, and Caitlin mm. convince him to go. Let's let's move on to Arya. Uh, let's move, the next chapter, Arya, and uh, mm. Arya is another one of the daughters of of Ned. Um, so mm. Sansa's the eldest, and Arya's the younger daughter. She's a bit of a runty younger sibling. That um, she's a bit of a tomboy. Whereas Sansa's the perfect lady um, yeah. for this. You know, she's the perfect uh, lady in training, if you like. Aya yeah. is the opposite. She's just she, she's not interested in stitching, she as we find does out. Does not give a she, fuck. <laughs> she's described by the scepter, who's the sort of the teacher, rather <laughs> rather meanly, of ha- as, as of having the hands of a blacksmith. <laughs> Isn't exactly what you want when you're training to be a lady. And she eventually escapes the. She eventually escapes the uh, the lesson of how to stitch um, to yeah. run a mock in the castle, and she meets up with John, and uh, yeah. and they uh, end up watching a a practice tournament between um, a few of the other different uh, guys. I really like the interaction between John and Arya from moment one. Like it's made this very warm kind of interaction, you know, and it talks about all sorts of reasons why, you know, he's he's an outcast as a bastard. She's kind of neglected as a younger child, you know. They mm. they respond well to each other, but it, it it was a nice and I have to say rare occurrence of like the milk of human kindness. 
And mm. I think this is, you know, this is this is why this is really important. I think in this bit that we we see that amongst the Starks basically more than we see it anywhere else. Mm. You know, loyalty yeah. I think occurs because of you know ancient agreements, treaties, and so on. Um, most other places in the book, but here you just got a, you've got a family that love each other. So there's this practice battle. You've got Bran and Tom, and Tom is the youngest of the um, of the king's sons. The king's got mm. basically Joffrey, and then um, I think Mycela, who's a, his daughter, and Tommen, who's his son, uh, youngest son. And uh, Brandon sort of is beating him up, and then Joffrey and Rob get Joffrey and Rob get in this argument, which yeah. um, quickly um, turns into Joffrey offering Rob out and saying, "Well, let's get some proper edged swords and let's go at it then." And Rob saying, "Yeah, let's do it." And you know, other yeah. people have to intervene. To <laughs> like, "Fucking stop! Stop! Stop!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it, it, it's it's classic sort of escalate teen fighting yeah. escalating suddenly, oh, isn't it? but it but it, it in is... the con- in the context of this is you know in this world that can turn into a, a serious bloody fight very quickly. Yeah, like it's like in school. You ever got into, like, one of those ridiculous playground face-off situations? Like, even if somebody got punched, that was as far as it was going to go. Nobody was about to pull out a broadsword and go, by the divine right of kings, I'm now allowed to kill you where you stand. (laughs) Um, And I have to say, I'm grateful for that. I I got an impression here of of Joffrey um, in that, slightly different from the the series, He's he's a bit of a wind up merchant, and he's a bit more um, sort of, he's a bit more clever at that than he is in. I, th- I think he gets the upper hand over Rob because he, he gets a few barbed insults in, and yeah. he seems to be a bit more quick thinking than Rob with the with the insults, and and also he's um, he's got a few good put downs, and he's got this sort of um, swaggering arrogance of a prince. Um, yeah, and I you know what I in this scene I felt it was very. Draco Malfoy, do you know in the in the Harry Potter? Yeah, books, you know you're absolutely sort of, right. Yeah, that sort of mixture of privilege and arrogance. Okay, um, so the next chapter is about Bran, and mm. this is the final chapter we'll read today. So it starts off with this big hunt happening, where the king and Ned and a big retinue, most of the family, are heading out to go for a boar hunt, which we find out is one of the king's favourite pastimes. Again, you're right, very Henry VIII that, yeah. and. Um, and Bran stays behind to do a bit of climbing. His his own favourite pastimes um, is is climbing. He, he climbs the castle walls all the time. And yeah. um, there's, I mean, the, his mum and dad are worried about it. Um, but yeah. there's a bit of a there's a bit of a classic parental indulgence from Ned, where um, yeah. he, Brandon remembers that one of the times that he, he gets told off and told not to do it, and then he does it anyway. And then the next time he gets told off by his dad, his dad says, "Well." You know, be careful. I know you're going to keep doing it, but just try not to let <laughs> mum see you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> that is a classic piece of dad, dad yeah. kind of politics, isn't it? I don't think really yeah. important, actually, as well. You know, all joking aside, to let a kid, like, despite what we're about to come to, do you know what I mean? Like, letting him run mm. around instead of being, um, in, instead of being like, I'm scared of what's going to happen to you, so you're not allowed to do anything. Yeah, and there's some really funny efforts to stop him as well. Where the, the Maester Lumen, who's the academic advisor, he yeah. um, he takes Bran up to like the roof and pushes like a <clears throat> a pot off the roof, so it it smashes down <laughs> below. 
to show him what happens. And uh, old Nan, who's the the elderly sort of storyteller in the castle, she tells him these horror, horror stories about little boys <laughs> yeah. who fall off roofs. But the problem is, the problem is with that as a strategy is that that's like having the boy who cried wolf do your wolf <laughs> protection classes. Because old Nan is she's spoken of so she never speaks in the book. But she is spoken of a whole hell of a lot as like this the go to source for batshit mental fairy tales. <laughs> and and yeah. you know, you understand the kind of character he's sketching, but at the same time, if I was trying to genuinely get my kids to not do something, the last person I would go to as a corroborating source would be the person who whose stories cause me to have to spend every day going, no, old Nan's just making it up. No, it's not real. No, don't worry. Yeah, but the the, the (laughs) kids, and kids believe those kind of stories sometimes, don't they? And, 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 and I think I, I think the real reason why Bran takes no notice isn't because he sits up and thinks, well, Lumwyn's got a, an agenda and Old Nan tends to tell a tall tale anyway. I think it's this this phrase where he says, "I know." They say, "What happens if you? What, this is what's going to happen to you if you fall." And he says quite confidently, "I never fall." You know, yeah. and yeah. and and it's yeah. that childish belief that you know everything's all right and bad things are just things that happen to other people. So Bran's doing one of his little jaunts climbing around and he comes across up in one of the towers. There are a couple of people talking. Hmm, what's going on here? They talk about the king's hand. Uh, they talk about this accusation, um, which, which to these people have got wind of, which is, um, you know, saying that the Lannisters have, have killed John Arryn, the old king's hand. Um, mm. They talk about Ned's loyalty to, to Robert, not to Joffrey. We find out basically mm. that it's, it's Jamie and Cersei Lannister, um, yeah. so it's the Queen and the Queen's brother, and they're um, and they're worrying about the, the loyalty of Ned and how he is more concerned about his friend Robert, maybe than Joffrey, his friend's son. Yeah. Um, this this quickly turns into um, shagging, as <laughs> uh, yeah, like, like you do. Horrible! Oh Lord. <laughs> Just, just like, why would, uh, like, this is one of these times where writing a fantasy novel really works for for uh, George Martin, because he just sort of, he, he has the license to take this massive handbrake turn <laughs> and, and have really early on in the book, two siblings shagging. It's, I, I found, do you know what I found? The, a little comparison with the series, it was quite different, because in the, in the book, it's kind of a bit sort of, you know, like Mills and Boone style or Lady Chatterley's lover kind of, oh, no, oh, no, oh, yes, where yeah, they're yeah, yeah. Like up against a wall and it's quite a passionate, almost romantic thing, yeah. apart from the fact that it's brother and sister. Um, yeah. Whereas in the in the series, Bran sort of peers through the window and, and Jamie's kind of <laughs> just flip reversed it and he's, <laughs> and, he's, and he's doing it doggy style. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's a bit different. Yeah. My, I mean, yeah, they, they, <laughs> there's not a lot of delicacy, is there, in the TV series and the way it deals with the sex. You know, they, yeah. they really, they're never going to be obliged to reach for the sort of medieval porn guitar, sort of yeah. <laughs> porn harpsichord. It's really funny, in the series, there's a, guy, a character we haven't come across yet called Tywin, who's the, the father of, of Cersei and Jamie, like the, the, the father of the yeah. Queen. And um, the guy who plays him, uh, Charles Dance, was interviewed about the sort of sex in uh, in Game of Thrones, and he said yeah. uh, he said he, he's quite bemused, and, and he's, he's asked the 
he's asked the directors if if nobody in the in this world has ever heard of the missionary position because <laughs> 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 it's always like from behind. <laughs> that is true, actually, isn't it? That's very true. <laughs> so yeah, let, let's 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 bring it down from the comedy to the uh, serious business of of uh, a child attempted murder. Time? Uh, so, so, so Bran sees these, um, sees Jamie and Cersei Lannister going at it, and the worst thing, the worst part for Bran is they see him, see them. If you get what I mean. Yeah. So, ja- so Jamie gets up and runs to the window. Bran actually nearly falls, and he, yeah, and, and he's actually kind of saved by Jamie. Um, yeah. But then, <laughs> after a couple long. of minutes, yeah, after a couple of minutes consideration, Jamie throws him from the window. And Bran falls, we assume, um, to his death. Mm. Pretty, pretty shocking. Very, and and you know, it made a fantastic bookend to the uh, to the TV episode of this. Obviously, like it's it's just huge mm. dramatic point. I tell you what struck me about it though is in the TV series, like Jamie Lannister is this insufferably smarmy, self satisfied character. So hmm. there's a line that he says in both the book and the and the series where he says the things I do for love and then pushes him off. Yeah. And in the series, he, it's it's all kind of smug, arrogant kind of the things I do for love. Poof, yeah, you know. Whereas um, whereas here it says he 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 said it with loathing, like it's it was a much more yeah. interesting, much more ambiguous way that he feels about violence towards a child. Okay, are we going to um, talk about... The, that, that, that brings us to the end of the, uh, of the first part of, uh, of our Game of Thrones coverage. Shall we talk about where yes. we're going to read to next time? It's page 153. It's the end of a chapter from Ned's point of view, um, and the chapter after is one... Oh, spoiler alert, from Bran's point of view. So yeah, page one five three. If you've well, got the sort of paperback, yeah. If you've got the paperback uh, Harper Collins Game of Thrones, then it's page one five three. It's the end of the chapter where Ned um, is talking, and it goes into one about Bran. There we go. Yeah, so Dave, um, have you enjoyed the first part? Are you ready for the next part too? I certainly have. Like this is this is bolted out of the traps. Um, yeah. and I'm I'm really excited about um, about kind of the way it seems to be setting up a world like. There's so much tension and so many interesting different characters. I, you know, I can, I, I can see this. This has got legs. 